Hi, this is Steve, aka at Orlanthar on Twitter, and here are some more of my gaming vexes. Hi and welcome to another episode of All Anthrex's Game of X's. Slightly different format this time. So what I have is some brief reflections on preparing for and also a debrief from the Verm game that I'm running. Good fun and it's a very different experience to some of the other things I've run and plan to run in the future. I've also then got a deeper dive, so a conversation between myself and Old Scouts of Roleplaying, that's Neil, and Oil Painting 71, that's Joe. So thanks to both of them for taking part. It was good fun recording and uh, hopefully the, uh, the sense of fun comes through uh, when you listen to it. So uh, without further ado, enjoy the rest of the episode. <laughs> So I'm just doing some preparation for my Verm game uh, this evening. Normally I've got four players, I've got three players tonight. One's had a, I've got a clash in another game. So yeah, Worm's quite a different pace to some of the other games. and a lot less flash and bang involved. I'm just using the introductory scenario in the book. And without going into too much detail, it's about a group of hunters that get embroiled in a grudge between two neighbouring clans with the possibility that a curse has been laid by one of the clans on the others. I'm running it over roll 20. All my games are anyway, even you know, without lockdown, most of my games are roll 20 anyway. And this is one where there's actually a sheet built in to roll 20, which is pretty good actually. So it's got all the rolls built into it. I mean, the system is sort of 2d6, well, up to 5d6 potentially. Um, and you essentially rolled in, rolling dice against a difficulty threshold. So it's pretty straightforward and yeah it seems to work pretty well i mean this isn't a game where i'm using lots of tokens or npcs because it's a lot smaller scale than some of the other games that, that i run so for example if i'm running rune quest you know i've got a, a sort of cast of thousands in terms of creature etc in this it's a lot lighter and what really attracted to me to the game in the first place apart from the, the fantastic cover artwork was i've always had an interest in archaeology prehistoric archaeology it's always had a fascination for me and i think reading history of ancient britain by neil oliver a bit of bit of pop history property prop science um that's got a really good few chapters on the rise of human modern humans through the uh the lower middle upper paleolithic so what we're talking about here is the upper paleolithic so about 35 to 40,000 years ago so yeah so i'm so i'm running the introductory scenario and this is part of my project you buy it you play it it is introductory and i'm concerned that scenario is a bit weak but i'm wondering whether it's maybe the system well maybe not the system but more of the background and i'm struggling really with how to put a bit more bang into it really i think it's the normal thing that GMs have, well certainly I have before sessions, is wondering whether there's enough to it to engage the players. And I think the players that put themselves forward to playing this game have got an interest in archaeology and prehistory anyway, so that I think they, they've got they're already primed to to enjoy it. But because I'm trying to keep it and the way the game is written is is sort of trying to ground it as much as possible in what's known about the period. Really, um, the main activities is either survival, so that's hunting, gathering, <laughs> gatherings 
perhaps not so much fun to roll through. Hunting can be a bit more entertaining, obviously, because there's quite a bit of threat involved. Or there's social interaction. So it's got a lot of potential for role-playing, and the way that it's set up is that it's based in what's known about the, the period. So actually it's quite small groups. So there's quite a bit of potential for role-playing within the clans themselves. Um, I mean, not everybody gets on, obviously. But you've probably got about 20 to 30 people in a clan, so it's not a huge number, and that includes sort of children and sort of older people as well so there's potential for, for role play within the clan but also in this scenario you've got potential for role playing the you know what what was the source of the grudge between the uh, between the clans and, and what how to resolve that um, and I've also thrown in um, and also well the scenario includes a little bit of potential for the spirit world to get involved in fact one of the players I mean when we started the game um, he wants to have a a mystic type or a sort of a shaman or a seer and really you know for a starting character that's not ideal so what we did was in the second session this is going to be the third session tonight we rode back a little bit and we created a, an old crotchety shaman so much older so therefore it's got quite a few weaknesses attached so it's quite frail and uh, it's quite crotchety and awkward but again it, it sort of brings forward the potential for, for role play to be to the fore but yeah so, so I've, I've prepped the session I'm a little bit concerned it's going to be a, a bit weak and I'm, I'm just wondering about the potential in a game like this for, for longer term play I can absolutely see you know one shot being uh, the way to go but i really wanted to try and put a series together out of this one but yeah so we'll we'll, we'll see how the how the session goes tonight and then we'll uh, I'll, I'll do a bit of a debrief afterwards hey steve uh this is Jenny reacting to the remark you made while mentioning the verm role-playing game and the possibility of introducing fantasy into a real world setting um as you may know I am huge interested in East Asian cultures. Um, I have run several campaigns set in real world East Asia and encountered much of the same issue. I feel players, even though they knew we were playing in real world uh, Ming China or Joseon Korea, expected the supernatural. They expected to be confronted to monstrous creatures rather than just human opponents. They expected flashing and banging spells rather than mere divination sessions. And as a result, even though my initial plans had been to keep matters uh, ambiguous, like did the divination spell really work? Was the medium just lucky when she indicated that the hostages were being kept prisoner below the butcher's shop? But no, I had to give in and we did end up having, you know, dragon folk and undead, uh, etc. But yes, that's that's a very interesting discussion to be had. So, um, just finished the uh, session of Worm. I think it went better than I thought it would do. I think it, it, it just chatting to the players at the end there, asking about the pacing of the game and whether it suited them. And the, the, the impression was that there's plenty to do, that... The social interaction is within in the actual role playing opportunities are, are good and really what people enjoy. I mean, in terms of just a brief outline on what happened, the uh, the hunters uh, spent quite a bit of time back at their home hearth discussing their plans to approach the the neighbouring clan. And there's a lot of discussion, a lot of um, thinking about what gifts they should take with them. Um, and this is the point where I've built in some of the finds from the uh, Upper Paleolithic in the uh, the Swabian Jura, apparently according to Google, because what I wanted to do was to try and to, to locate it in a, a specific place and also to bring in some of those archaeological finds to try and give it a little bit of sense of, of weight. It sounds really pretentious, but I just basically it's the stuff that I'm interested in, so why wouldn't you want to do that sort of thing? And I think that landed pretty well with the players as well. But again, reflecting that the pace is somewhat different, 
so as I said earlier, I think in terms of actually the activities that you can do there's a little bit of hunting a little bit of gathering herbs so one of the uh, characters is a expert herbalist Vanali, the uh the, the shaman character she had quite a bit to do in terms of casting omens and sort of interpreting the movements of birds to, to try and understand what was uh, uh, what was happening and trying to keep that sense of threat so obviously there's there's something not right um, and so they're obviously trying to, to get to the bottom of that mystery. But yeah, I think it's a lot gentler, uh, unless you're actually in combat, like most games. I think the, the pace feels a lot more sedate, which is not a bad thing, possibly. Maybe it's more about me as a GM just uh, being very focused on doing things at a pace. Yeah, things If things aren't happening, then I tend to get a bit twitchy sometimes as a GM, whereas perhaps one of the things is to leave a bit of space so that the players can explore and to to create the world along with me um i suppose it comes down to the fact that you know one of the most powerful things you say is what do you want to do so yeah so yeah positive uh, enjoyed it It was good fun so still some questions about how long you could maintain a series in this uh, with this rule setting in this world but as far as it goes it's been it's been good fun so far so yeah i think we've got maybe one more session to go it's a couple of weeks time they're looking forward to it okay <laughs> Do you want to introduce yourself, guys? Okay, um, so this is uh, Neil, old scouter role-playing on Twitter. Yeah. And then Joe, what about yourself? Yeah, well, obviously, I'm Joe, known on Twitter as Piderbud and Duck, which is Welsh for um, Don't Be Silly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm glad you, you pronounced that, might, not me. Yeah, you might more easily remember my um, the address, which is at oilpainting71. So um, this came out of a conversation that sort of starts off around Jeopardy in uh, role-playing games, which sort of came out of our experience with uh, old-school style, which is, uh, well, we'll get to, you know, what an old-school style approach to Jeopardy is. And then that linked into me bemoaning the apparent lack of Jeopardy in 5e. Yeah. Um, characters <laughs> seem to be almost invincible and and again that might be just part of the uh, game itself but what i wanted to do was to sort of widen out a little bit so it's not just about lethality which you know and hit points and that sort of thing but just more a consideration around danger or risk or whatever you want to call it in in game so um, i suppose i mean first of all the definition of jeopardy according to the internet is is a danger of loss harm or failure um so and i'm thinking obviously that's you know a level of risk of loss harm or failure what what do you guys think is that something that we have to have in our games is it almost a, a core part <laughs> of the experience or what do you think yeah. uh, neil go first yeah i, I think uh, i think it is that's a big part of it that that uh, excitement that you get when your characters have something at risk they're in danger of losing uh, lives or failing a quest mm. it might be um, some, something else that you know drives them on and it's that point of failure i think where, where the jeopardy comes from you know with uh, and, and risk as well for me I, i've said this before but for me the the best play in the game comes about when the, that sense of jeopardy is really high when there's there's a, a lot to to lose even, even if it's just your character's life that sense of danger of being overwhelmed uh, and so on that that and, and for me i i can't imagine playing a game where at some point that doesn't occur and it doesn't mean that has to be there all the time mm. from, from start to finish mm. of a session. But I think every session is enhanced with a degree of jeopardy. Yeah, where the characters you say might, uh, something might go horribly wrong. Yeah. And I will say in uh, in all the old school games I've played, which have coincidentally all been run by you, Neil, but uh, <laughs> that sense of imminent death is always, <laughs> is always there. We yeah, all know absolutely. About that. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about you, Joe? What, what do you think in terms of the, what does that yeah. sense of risk bring to the game? I think um, very much uh, similar to Neil, actually, what Neil's just said. I, I sort of grew up really playing RuneQuest, which is notoriously gritty. There's, a, there's always jeopardy in every sort of encounter. I mean, if, if we're just concentrated on combat, I think um, games like Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and RuneQuest have this this real sense of the dark nature of combat and and, and the consequences of combat, yeah. um, and you you get that in old school D and D as well. You know, it's it's um, particularly base, uh, BX. It's uh, very easy to uh, to die in, isn't it? So you have very <laughs> you, know, you start off with very few hit points, and you don't really seem to get that many more as you progress. Yeah, um, it, well, it's, inter- yeah. It's, it's interesting, really, because I mean, you have games like Tales from the Loop where characters cannot die. I mean, I've run a session of Tales from the Loop, but I, I mean, obviously, Neil, you, you mm, played, and yeah. I don't know about yourself, Joe, but I mean, d- did that, the sense that you just cannot die, take the edge off it a little bit, or did it? I think it, it, it with that, it's, it was the expectation around the yeah. game. So, so that, you know, expectation was there from the start, and we knew that our characters couldn't be mm. killed. So I would say, there wasn't the same sense of jeopardy that didn't make it any less exciting or or interesting yeah. that's interesting yeah, yeah it, it, so a lot of the games we, we've been playing recently like martin's uh fall of delta green or your memory yeah game, yeah there there's a big investigative element to it and and i think that presents another really interesting aspect of a game so so when i said before your games are enhanced by jeopardy that, that, that's not the only thing that makes games interesting yeah um but uh and so i think with tales from the loop it had a lot of other good stuff in it that makes games interesting mm. it, it didn't mm. have that feeling of jeopardy I, I guess i mean there were moments of discovery that felt quite exciting yeah. and exhilarating so it's possible to have a game that's interesting but the the, the other levers that you can pull on or the, the yeah. other dials that you can turn to to dial that up absolutely it almost needs to compensate if there's if the jeopardy isn't isn't there yeah absolutely or the risk and yeah. also i think i think to go along with that if you have jeopardy constantly you know then they, they, there's, there's nothing to contrast it with you know <laughs> because, yeah. because like a michael Payton, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? it's just it's just one explosion yeah. after another until like, actually all the explosions look like one. Uh, ex- exactly exactly and I, I think those calmer moments or or different moments where the, the risk is less yeah i i, I think that it's that contrast that makes it work really well what about you joe what, do you, what are your thoughts Talk yeah, a bit about that. I, I think that's really interesting i mean i suppose i've been thinking very much along old school lines of you know jeopardy and combat but i think there's yeah. all sorts of different stories to tell and different ways yeah. to um, notch up the jeopardy um you know in, in, a, in social ways or puzzles yeah. ways um so it, it jeopardy is something that can certainly challenge you in in um in different areas yeah so i mean what i was thinking because i was trying to think this through myself so i tried to break into sort of system so i mean that's where you can get things like hit points and different systems do things differently obviously then it's about context and i think system is more immediate and tactical mm-hmm. so you know that sword swing connects and you're dead whereas context might be longer term consequences yeah. so that is can be managed with system things like pendragon for example or was it the birthright campaign from second edition dnd where you sort of you've got a family over time in my mind it's more like to be explored through the story yeah. 
or the ongoing narrative. Mm-hmm. And, and there might be some other stuff that comes out of that as well. So I think perhaps, you know, if we just talk about system first, and obviously that's what really drove this conversation in the first place and then perhaps come to context but just to sort of set the scene i think what we said is that players need to be aware that there's a possible outcome for their character where they could you know lose or they could get hard hard or lose something or fail and it's almost you can do that in a variety of ways in systems through you know foreshadowing or oh, there's a dungeon there there's going to be something horrible in there or some systems like blades in the dark for example build it in so it's clocks mm-hmm. so that the the characters know something's going to happen so if it ticks down to a certain point then you know they're going to be found out that the guard are going to be alerted to their presence or something and i was thinking about in 5e the hit points are a countdown clock because really players don't care until you get within a sword strike of being dead yeah (laughs) so it's almost like you have to grind through those belative hit points before you get so yeah anyway that's that's my thing so i mean do you want to talk about the system side of it so joe do you want to just pick up on what you're thinking about well i I thought i mean it keeps coming up in conversations but i thought it's really interesting um, looking at 5e and and how it is different from old school dnd but i was i was flicking through the um the dungeon master's guide to think to try and find ways because there's a sort of perception that there is as you particularly as you get higher up in the levels that it becomes there's less jeopardy there's there's less threat to the characters mm. um certainly in games that i played anyway uh, the early stages are great you know you, you still have that threat level because your hit points are low but um you know as your hit points increase it's um it gets more and more difficult to uh, threaten the players, really. Well, in that situation, you end up throwing larger and larger creatures. Yeah, that's true. At, yeah. If you think about it, a goblin at the first level is a threat. Yeah. But it's almost like you, need to have, you just need to have bigger and bigger goblins. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Which means, actually, that advancement is... I don't know, does it, does it negate the the value of that advancement because you're, you you know you almost have to have that additional threat to bring that sense of immediate danger yeah it's, it's right. sort of this escalation isn't it mm. you, you you're yeah. going up the level to hero really aren't you from sort of zero to sort of hero i suppose that's the kind of journey yeah. but uh, i was i was interested to see you know i was thinking about 5e games i played in and i was wondering you know what what, what could you do to change that um uh, and bring in a bit more of a feeling of jeopardy and um, mm. a lot of it comes down to healing. I think Neil will agree that in 5e, it, it kind of feels like you're, you suddenly have these power boosts. Yeah. And mm. uh, it's very easy to come by healing. You know, flicking through the DMG, it's got some good suggestions on um, alternatives. You know, there's um, mm. slow natural healing and uh, gritty realism. So one of those just slow natural healing is just reduces the amount of healing you can do per, per rest. And... Gritty realism yeah. just extends the kind of um, the period that you need to heal. So you, you can play between those two those two ideas and, and get to a, a balance in, in a game of five E where you have still got a bit of threat. It's a bit harder to get healing, and um, it doesn't feel like you're sort of a superhero powering up so much. Mm. Mm. And there are, there are a couple of games that have uh, tried to make five E feel more osr like it was um five yeah. torches deep and there was one and, and there's another one to the unknown that's it yeah that's the one in search of the unknown or was it into, into the unknown, into the unknown. Yeah. and and i yeah. think uh, you know um I, I mean i've not got into the unknown but i've got five torches deep and i think that's a really uh interesting idea you can see where they've um really tackled those bits that make 5e feel powerful you, you know characters are powerful mm. and, and, and yeah. far less vulnerable but i think there's a couple of interesting things there steve um 
you, know, you mentioned about the goblins. And one of the things that uh, draws me to certain games is when it talks, you know, it goes into combat and it talks about a goblin is still a threat, you, you know. So if you have a, mm. a, a, a knight at level nine who could still be taken down by a gang of goblins, then that kind of really yeah. appeals to me. Well, I, I do. Well, you see that in RuneQuest, yeah. don't you? Where it doesn't matter how good you are, I'm, you can be the wrong. You get a stinger in the forehead, and that's, yeah. uh, that's the I guess character, for example. <laughs> and and it re- you really do feel that with RuneQuest that uh, a, a, you know a couple of lucky or unlucky dice rolls, depending on your perspective, mm. that's it. Your character's gone. Not absolutely nothing mm. you can do. And, yeah. and you get you know that's even more noticeable. It doesn't matter how powerful you get because even with basic and expert. D and D, you know any old school D and D. Once you get to fourth, fifth, sixth level, you, you may not still have loads of hit points. You know, I, I mean, a magic user at fifth level could st- still have a maximum of you know twenty hit points if they're lucky. Yeah, but, but yeah, at least yeah, yeah. The, the, they're not at that one strike is gonna is gonna kill them. But there is yeah. one thing that I do I think does set old school games apart, and 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 that is just some of the outright lethality with certain things like a, tra- a trap yeah. you get mm. get poisoned save versus poison or or the dead and that's it no matter what level you're at you know you fail that role you're dead hit points nothing else matter i think yeah. i personally i do find that quite brutal I, I, I have been known to soften some of those things so um really yes, yes, <laughs> on, on occasion on a- what about y'all the no <laughs> Yeah, terrible, terrible. That that was that was just a damage trap. You're talking a lot about sort of the harm side of things. I mean, I mean, limiting recoveries Mm. is one part of it, but I think, and this might be just my misreading of it, but five E obviously focuses very much on hit points as being a, a physical thing, but I think. Neil um, Hopkins, after the first episode, was talking about actually you could take social damage within that. So that might be, you know, your self-confidence, your ability yeah. to, to make your mark in the world. Which And that's not something that comes through, certainly in my reading of 5e rules. And again, it may be I just skim, skim that section. Yeah. But if you can reduce a character's hit points through social interaction it, i suppose it's just it's just it's a way of yeah reducing their i'm trying to think of the best way to say it, but it's a way of reducing their ability to to influence the world isn't it really i think even in in 50 i think i'm sure i've read somewhere that it's, it's pretty similar concept to hit points as it as it was in D and a d and d it's an abstraction of elements of physical damage but also luck and and resilience yeah. and you know Will there's no there's no social no. combat mechanic, no. is there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if any any of the old school game or any version of D and D specifically says that hit points are an abstract. Well, I've not read <laughs> saying that I've not read anything apart from the old ones. To be fair, but <laughs> but do, do any of them say hit points are an abstraction that represent I, yeah, fatigue? And, you know. Yeah, I think um, Gary Gygax says that in the AD&D, uh, sorry, Dungeon Master's Guide. DMG. Right. Yeah, okay. DMG. So uh, I'm pretty sure. And and it is it is um, alluded to in 50 as well. There, I'm sure there's a paragraph somewhere. Because I, mm. I remember thinking, oh, that's mm. that's that's similar. Mm. Yeah. But w- one thing that struck me reading AD&D recently was um, 
but the sort of the dark tone that's in there, like you go down to zero hit points and that's where the real damage, you know, happens. You can be yeah. injured and have permanent injuries and that yeah. and that kind of thing. And there's a there's a consequence to that to going down to zero hit points. Where yeah. in something like fifth B you can kind of go down to death's door and then bounce back up and you know, start <laughs> fighting. But but it's interesting that's a, a because the, the the wounds, for example, lingering injuries is is an option in five. It's not part of the the core game experience. Whereas in yeah. something like the One Ring, yeah. you know, yeah. taking wounds is 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 a core part of the game. And yeah. likewise in Soulbound, that that new Age of Sigmar game, yeah, uh, toughness, which essentially is is almost like your resilience in that combat. You can, it, it goes up and down quite quickly, and you can get it back very quickly. But if you take a wound, that's much harder to I like get rid of. And I, I yeah, and I, and I like that as a yeah. as a concept, really. Yeah. When I, yeah. when I when I read the the One Ring first time, um, I, I was struck by the similarities to D and D, and also the, the the difference as well. You know mm. how hit points work because basically it's sort of they've taken out the the wounds from the hit point abstraction. Mm. So you've got taking a wound is like almost like taking a critical hit, isn't it? But it can only you can only take one wound and then it's you're... A, it's a big out. issue taking yeah. wounds yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in, in the one ring, definitely. Yeah, yeah. but um, your hit points or your fatigue in the one ring, sort of, mm. you, know, you can batter that right down. Yeah. Um, yeah. You still keep going with I, it. I have a... So that idea of, of that abstraction, you know, fatigue or, or hit points representing knocks and bruises and stuff like that, I, I, I think in theory it, it, it's, you know... It, it, it makes it work, but I think narratively it, it, it's a bit crap because if uh, if somebody loses half their hit points or or uh, you know yeah. somebody whacks a, a monster with their sword mm. and does you know seven or eight hit points of damage in in, in base expert that's a fair bit i could kill most creatures but say it takes something yeah. down to one hit point you can't go oh well actually you you know you smack at this thing and uh, you know you, you actually you, you you know you don't actually hit it you frighten it and it's confused and it's it's confidence yeah. is falling and what, it's not the same as like saying That's oh you you hack at it and blood spurts everywhere and you can feel it starting to you, you know it's it's going to fall soon you can see the fear in its eyes and 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 I think using hit points as a measure of actual damage uh, I just feel is more satisfying. You know, it, it, it's certainly yeah. way yeah, I always used to think about it until I actually started reading those paragraphs in the DMG and stuff, yeah. and I thought, oh, yeah, all yeah. oh, right. <laughs> but but equally, as you say, you know, I think in, in older games, it's it is physical damage, where it's almost like the expansion of of the numbers of hit points gives people mm. or gives characters that sort of survivability. But then, if if we're going to say, actually, it's because otherwise, I mean, what I find, you just end up throwing hordes of combat encounters at people mm. to get their character hit points down and actually it's quite explicit about you know encounters per day and mm. that sort of thing and it, it's, it's all right I'm, I'm trying to get you down to the point where you actually become engaged yes <laughs> you know it's almost like what and why am i grinding through hordes of kobolds or whatever or yuanti or wherever it is just to get to the point where you're interested again yeah there's another interesting optional rule in the dm 50 dmg a, a massive damage um yeah. and that sort of tries to bypass what you're talking about if you, if you sort of take um more than the equivalent of half your maximum hit points of damage you have a system shock roll and you, you roll mm. a, a d10 and you one of the options on that table is um you, you immediately drop to zero hit points or mm. Or you, right. or you pick up a stunned condition. 
or um, or your, yeah. your your next attack's at disadvantage. But there's that that sudden drop to hit zero hit points sort of cuts through that that story of hacking away at the mm. yeah. hit points, which seems to me like an interesting option to perhaps yeah. you know. So, so what we're saying is that we need yeah. it's it's it takes a, whereas a game where it's part of the core experience like OSC for example mm. or Swords and Wizardry or you know, whatever. It's almost like that's the expectation going in. Whereas for five E, it sounds like you have to negotiate mm. what what are your levels of lethality. Yeah. You know, before you go into yeah. that. Yeah. Why, um, why not just give people less hit points? You know, there, 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 there you go. <laughs> that's exactly job job it, done. That's no, no need for complex <laughs> rules. You know. Sorry, Steve. I was just going to say, into the unknown, um, the the sort of fifty take on on uh, BX. Um, that the, the it has a much slower rate of. Um, uh, healing in there, so you, effectively you do have less sort of uh, hit points, and um, I'd, I'd like to see how that plays out. Actually, yeah. let's try that sometime. So we, we talked a lot about harm. Mm. The other two aspects of it were around failure, and I think that's that's probably less problematic because I know there's the, the concept obviously of failing forward or, or not failing at all. So in Gumshoe, there are certain things you won't fail because if you fail, then it basically stops the investigation, it's tracks. Mm -hmm. And then the idea of you succeed, but. So, I mean, do you think is, I mean, I think you having the concept of fail, it's almost as though can characters fail at things or can they fail at things which are, which are really important? And I'm, I'm thinking about non-combat tests really here. Yeah. I think with the old school style of play, that's, ne that's never really an issue because you, you don't have roles for a lot of those things, mm. you know? So, mm. so if uh, somebody wants to talk to the barkeeper to get some information or whatever, uh, you know, generally, you, now you could say, oh, well, you know, make a charisma role or something like that, you know, <laughs> make some use mm. of the dumb stuff. Um, yeah. but, but generally, you just give them the information or let, or, or let them ask the question in a way that might elicit that information. Or they, they might yeah. notice something that the, the barkeeper has a symbol of uh, Tamitra, the goddess of beer or whatever behind the bar and the player says well you know i'm, I'm a cleric of my trail and blah 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 you yeah. know it's things like that i think but that's where the yeah. role play I'm, comes to the fore then, I, isn't it and so really? i think if you're gonna have if you're gonna have a if you're gonna have a skill in something it's got to mean something so like like yeah. and that's what life is like isn't it yeah you, you, you know <laughs> if, I, if i'm gonna try and jump over my garden fence there's a chance I'll, you know, 10% chance I'll succeed. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and maybe the chance of the Oh, yeah, it's absolutely. Critical <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Some broken oh, no. bones there somewhere. So, so uh, I, and I think that's, that's kind of realistic. Uh, but I do get, I do get the idea of yeah, failing forward or, or you know, fail with consequence and stuff like that. But mm. I don't know. I kind of like him a bit. I think I've said not on the podcast, but in, in conversations previously. Talk about some of the games like Scum and mm. Villainy, for example, or games where it's you have to think about consequences. Mm. That is <laughs> that is hard <laughs> yeah. work to do that, really. As it, um, yeah, you're saying. Yes, yeah, yeah, I, th yeah. I think so. I don't know, I mean, you guys run or played in those those sort mm. of style of games where it's the, you know, you fail, but, yeah, or you, you succeed, but not mm. quite as well with a with a follow-on consequence and, and there has to yeah and you know say you fail five or six rolls in a row 
the G, you got all of a sudden five or six consequences, you know. And, yeah. and I, I, I don't know. Sometimes just like, um, I, I I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you need to. I think you can fail, and there's a failing. There's a consequence, mm. isn't there? I mean, I think that's so. Mm. So it's that thing about you only make people roll when something's yeah, at stake. Absolutely. Yeah. So so like picking a lock in a in a in a door. If you make the roll, then great. The you know the the door's opened. If you fail it, then yeah. you can hear guards coming round the corner or something yeah. like that. I think that's always been part of the game, anyway. If I'm honest, yeah. mm. um, it's just mm. kind of got a label cool. now, really. I think. And the the other bit of as well is is um, so we talked about harm and we talked about mm. sort of failure and uh, and the other bit is is loss. Yeah. So so and I was thinking about this removal of a capability. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> yes. I mean, we came across this in. Yeah, well, in, that, that uh, reminds me of things, the old level drain. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and and it, it really it's, it could be quite jarring if you've as a as a player on a GM. I mean, we found this in our yes. RuneQuest game where you know they come up against the monsters, which were just basically nicking their stuff. And and and, yeah, and I think that that prompted a whole it very, it, yeah, it certainly changed the whole. Uh, character of the uh, oh yeah it did it, it did I, th- I think it was um, I think the first time he encountered those creatures and it was something small was 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 went and then the second time it happened and you're like oh no they they're taking the main weapon there and then and then, yeah. and then that was that was like a theme in the game was that idea of of yeah. you know you you were having you were having things taken away and like you say Joe it's kind of like the the level drain which is, is, is you know it's pretty extreme really you think you're taking away somebody's you know the last three or four adventures experience you're just wiping that out in one go but I, I think as well as that Steve I also think is you were talking before about story and and background and so on and and mm-hmm. within the same rune quest game there's a, a lot that we, we it feels that the characters are you know it feels the the jeopardy is is really high there the stakes are huge mm. you know and it's and and I, and I think that's the other thing uh, the other elements of jeopardy we've not really talked about which you get in, in games like Call of Cthulhu in particular you know end of the mm. world kind of uh, jeopardy mm. or or significant loss you know your village is going to be wiped out S- something of that nature but it's, it seems like those sort of things tend to be outside system that yes. it's more it is it, ten, it tends mm. to be and uh, you know my experience <laughs> limited yes. as it is it tends to be more about the, the connections you make in within the game yes. world yeah, i mean we've all played in games i'm sure where you've got a home village or you've got a you know something you care about and actually, if the GM starts to wave his magic wand over that or to threaten that in some way, yeah. that really engages mm. people then. Yeah. But that takes time to, to build up, doesn't it? Yeah. That's, well, know, that's, a, that's a campaign or a series. Thing. It's the thing of overwhelming gods, I think. is It's something I like to do. It is, there's, there's a load of enemies here or, or, or something really bad's going to happen. Yeah. And it happens in yeah. loads of games. And I just think that's that's just when players like their uh, the gamer instincts are at their sharpest you know and they're they're like they're uh, they're all the all those years of rolling dice and and tactics and whatever come to the fore and that, i think that's when players are at yeah. the best and i think that's when games are at the it's best when you're most switched on yeah yeah absolutely when that real threat whatever it might be whether it's to them individually like we were saying before last few hit points or whether it's like uh, you know, you 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 they're standing there on the ridge, watching their uh, 
their their hometown being blown to bits or wherever it might be. Yeah, you know yeah, that yeah, that yeah. sense of like brings out outrage and fear and all, all this yeah. kind of stuff comes yeah. from. It's all the time spent building those characters up over yeah. time. There's little nuggets of storyline yes. that sort of become a you know a character. That's when they it almost they become yeah, real. Yeah. Okay, I think I think we probably only skimmed the surface of that. But I think it was really interesting conversation, certainly from my perspective. I'm sure that when I put when I put this out on the uh, on the podcast, <laughs> we'll get quite a few responses mm. from it, uh, and maybe it's something we'll, we might come back to and revisit yeah. in the in the future. It's a really good um, subject, I think. I mean, it gets to the heart of uh, of a lot of our games. I think yeah. you know, the, the essence, you know, keeping that that consequence, that jeopardy, that threat level, whatever it is, you know, there and real. <laughs> All right, so thanks very much. Yeah, thanks, Neil. No oh, thank uh, you. Yes, yeah. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, and, uh, yeah, and uh, I'll talk to you yeah, again absolutely. soon. Absolutely. Right, Bye-bye. Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed that deep dive into the issue of Jeopardy in role-playing games. Barring any sudden rushes of blood to the head, the next episode uh, should be a reflection on Liminal, uh, both on the Liminal game as a whole and the background and also some reflections on the series that we played. And hopefully we'll have some of the players, if not all of them, taking part in that, so that should be an interesting one. So, in the meantime, if anything here has caught your attention, then please drop me a line, either on Twitter or you can obviously drop me a a voice message as well. Other than that, take care and be excellent to each other. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another exploration of my gaming vexes. If you've got any thoughts you'd like to add to what you've heard here, or a gaming vex of your own you'd like to offer up for discussion, you can contact me on Twitter, at AllAnthar, or you can leave a voice message. The link's on the podcast webpage on Anchor, or can be found in the show notes. Until the next time, may all your games be free of vexatiousness, and be excellent to each other, always.